officially a recorded in a bathroom, um, which I appreciate the candidness there, and literally the first kiss uh, in Matthias's history publicly. So pretty cool that we all got to see that. Um, Twenty-five of us here on uh, March twenty-fifth will be leaving, and we're we're really excited. And, and here's the thing: for those of you that that have some context internationally, or you've, or you've traveled before, we have a huge heart for this city. We believe that we're a church here in St. Charles with a very specific purpose to love it. And when, when I say it, I mean it's people. And whenever you travel internationally, it changes your worldview. I've had the privilege of traveling all over the world. And the one thing that always enhances my picture of the beauty of the gospel is seeing the world and its people in its own culture. It not only makes me appreciate the beauty of God's work, but it makes me anxious makes me anxious for the day when the church, the worldwide church, will one day be together. You see what I'm saying? And so we're really excited, and I hope that you'll uh, join with us in praying as we begin to celebrate what God's going to beautifully do in Ecuador. Speaking of beauty, interesting word, isn't it? Beauty? Just say it real quick with me. Beauty. Come on, give me some. All right? Uh, it's, it's an interesting word because if I were to ask all of you right now, what do you think is the most beautiful thing ever created or whatever? All of us, or at least most of us, would have a different answer, right? If I were to just go around the room right now, what's, what, like, what's the most beautiful thing to you? Some of us would say people, right? Uh, some of us would turn there, so you would say your kids, your wife, Brad Pitt, some of you, right? Um, how many of you just in a moment of vulnerability want to say Brad Pitt is the most beautiful thing in the world, okay? All right, we see, I saw, see a lot of guy hands, okay, interesting. <laughs> I'll be praying for that later, but... Um, others of you would say places, right? Rainbows are so special, or mountains, or the beach right, or uh, whatever your backyard, we would say places, any of you just have a place you think is the most beautiful place in the world, you just want to throw in your vote right now, yeah, what do you got back there, bro, Brown County, Indiana, yeah, Indiana's not in the top 50, I'm just going to be honest with you, Um, I appreciate your heart, though, that's great, Um, if that's what we're going to start, we're just going to, we're just going to not, I'm not even going to ask anyone else, right, pretty soon someone's going to say Arkansas or something, so, um, so did I just say Arkansas? I really apologize about that. Uh, so places, and, th- and then others of you would say moments. So these special moments, right? Some of you would say your wedding day was literally the most beautiful thing. Any, any of you guys would say your wedding day was just extremely beautiful? Okay. A few of us and a lot of letdowns, apparently. Um, <clears throat> weddings or uh, graduation. Anyone, ex- anyone think graduation is going to be the most beautiful thing? And I look over. Okay, right. Nice. Um, Beauty is an interesting word because we would all kind of have these very unique answers. Uh, tonight, tonight I don't want to I don't, I don't hang on our differences. Rather, I want to rally us around uh, the beauty of the scripture, if I could. I and we fully believe here that the gospel, the message of Jesus, is literally the most beautiful thing there is. And though there's all these tangible things that kind of draw, it's this, it's the scripture that I really honestly just find beautiful. Last week, a really beautiful text as we looked at the love of God. Remember the text? We saw that God is mindful of us, that not only is he mindful, but that he cares. And that that's most wrapped up in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. That beautiful gospel that allows us to have relationship with God. Last week, a beautiful text. Now listen. I know Hebrews is wordy, okay? Especially the second chapter. If you've been reading ahead, you're like, I don't even, like, what does this mean, okay? Welcome to the club. It's okay. It's very wordy. 
But if we, can just, if we can just step into this, if we can just sit back and allow the words, the depth of them, the meaning of them to speak to us, I'm telling you, I'm serious, listen, the imagery tonight, it's like, um, it's like an artist who gets out this canvas and just begins to paint. Tonight is literally, in my opinion, one of the most vivid images in the scripture that I've seen in a long time. So let's pray that God would reveal the scripture, that it would appear and dig in beautifully into our hearts and souls. Amen? All right, let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you so much for uh, the scriptures. I thank you, God, for the opportunity tonight not just to study them and not just to read them, but God, just to allow the beauty of them to sink into the depths of our being. And so I pray that you'll do that tonight like only you can. I thank you for loving us and for caring for us and for being mindful of us. But God, tonight is not about us at all. It's about you. So make yourself known in this place in your holy and awesome name. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, here we go. Open your Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to study all of four verses tonight. We'll begin here in verse 10. We'll go all the way to verse 13. I want to read it so we can build some context. And then we'll dive into this very, very beautiful scene here. When you're there, say I'm there. Wonderful. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Now, this is an incredibly, incredibly beautiful text. Let's begin at the very start of verse 10. For it is fitting. What? What's fitting? Anytime the writer says, for it is fitting, or uses the word for, or but, or because, it's a transitional point. So what's fitting? Look at verse 9. What did verse 9 say? But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the what? The suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The writer of Hebrews is saying, uh, the death of Jesus is fitting. Now, I need you to understand this. This is written to who? Remember who the audience is of Hebrews? Jewish Christians. To a Jewish Christian, listen, the concept of a suffering Messiah, Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior, is in the first century incredibly scandalous. The idea or the concept that Jesus, who calls himself the King of Kings, the Son of God, the fact that he would suffer and die, do you understand in the first century, is scandalous. That's not the Messiah they were waiting on. They were waiting on a king, on a reigning Lord who would come in, wipe out their adversaries, take all the Jews who were the chosen people of God, and push them into glory. But that's not what happened. Jesus comes, claims that he's the Son of God, lives perfectly, dies on a cross as the Messiah, raises on the third day from the tomb, conquering sin and death. You see... So he throws this in there, for it is fitting. What? What's fitting? The death of Jesus. It's fitting. The suffering of Christ. It's fitting. I know you're struggling to understand it, but you have to get this. Jesus had to die. And he had to die. Why? He had to taste death for everyone's sake. So he says, for it is fitting. Now look at the rest of verse 10. Unbelievable. For whom... 
and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now listen, here's where all of this starts to get crazy beautiful. There's a word here in verse 11, or here in verse 10, that is used here and it's used also in Hebrews chapter 12. It's used in two other places in Acts. And it's the word founder. Now this word used here and in chapter 12 is like a bookend to all of this dialogue in between Hebrews which is focused on Christ. Jesus is, as the, as the text says here, he's the author, he's the, look at the scripture here, he's the founder of our salvation. Now, to understand the beauty of this, we have to know what it means. The Greek word of this word founder here is arhegas. Everyone say this with me. Arhegas. Arhegas. And it literally means this. It means a pioneer. It means a leader. It means, listen, it means a trailblazer. Anytime it's used in the scripture, it's always someone who's going ahead, starting, leading, pioneering, and others coming behind. Let me give you some examples. 1947. Anyone know what happened in 1947 in the way of trailblazing? Anyone? What's that? Dead Sea Scrolls, um, maybe, uh, but not now. I don't know. Maybe. I'll have, to, I'll have to look that up later. Right? Could be. Anyone? 1947. Major League Baseball. Anyone? Jackie Robinson. Right? The first African-American baseball player in the modern era comes in, trailblazes away for so many who come after him. He leads. He's the pioneer. He steps in and plays for anyone, remember? The Brooklyn Dodgers, right? And after him, then this massive influx. Awesome. Break segregation. Love it. In 1976, there was a massive movement that began uh, around the personal computer. This man named Steve, anyone? Steve Jobs with four other friends sits back in 1976 and begins this amazing company. Any, any fans here of the Apple? Any fans here? Right? Just by raise of hand, how many of you have the phone of I? How many of you have the phone of I? Okay. Really? All right. I thought there would be more. So after this massive influx of Apple and Macintosh, Steve Jobs thrusts his way in this, uh, this almost addiction to the personal computer and how to make it better. He trailblazes it. He begins. He pioneers it. And then we have, uh, in 2004, this uh, man uh, that many of you know is colorblind, and he sees blue. Like, that's, that's his primary color. And he begins this massive thing of which I do not participate. It's called the Book of Face. Uh, how many of you guys are on Facebook just by, right? Yeah. So Zuckerberg starts Facebook trailblazes this way into social networking and this massive craze. That's what trailblazing is. That's what pioneering is. You start something, and then others who come after you, listen, their way is easier because you started it, because you pioneered it. Now, in our context, we're not talking about uh, Zuckerberg, or we're not talking about Jackie Robinson. The scripture calls Jesus the author, the pioneer Later in scripture, the perfecter of what? Of our salvation. Well, how has he trailblazed? How has Christ gone ahead of us? How has he done what only he could do? I picture myself, um, and can we put up my forest here? Picture my, have you ever been in a really dense forest where you couldn't see any, any exit? Have some of you guys been there? There's really no feeling like it, is there? 
And I, I, trust me, I haven't been in nature as much as some of the rest of you. I hate camping, just to be honest with you. I like showers and don't really, at times, like, you know, being surrounded by trees and wilderness and snakes that could kill me. But some of you dig that, which is great. Um, but all of us, most of us at least, have been in the thick of, even if it was like a small backyard forest where you couldn't see exits. There's nothing like it, is there? You just feel surrounded. And, and there, there is almost like the sense of surrealness to it, isn't there? Listen, here's the concept. Jesus, as the trailblazer, goes through, starts, pioneers to what end? For Jackie Robinson, it was baseball. Okay? For Zuckerberg, it was Facebook and social networking. For Jobs, it was the Apple computer. But Jesus is the pioneer, is the founder, is the trailblazer to what? To, to God. To right relationship with God. He trailblazes. Listen, it's like this deep, dense, it's like this deep, dense forest. He cuts through all of this chaos of sin and death. And as verse 9 says, tastes death on our behalf. He's the pioneer. He trailblazes. He cuts a path through all of the distance between us and God. And makes this path now possible. By doing what? By dying. So he cuts through sin and death. He cuts through the woods and the wilderness and the density and the chaos of it. And on the other side, right relationship with God. And the scripture says this. Listen, the scripture says this. Because Jesus does this, because he's the pioneer, because he's the founder, because he cuts through the chaos, he does what? He brings what? Many what? Sons to glory and daughters, right, female? Like, it's not just daughters. He brings with them. Again, a pioneer in the scripture. A trailblazer is someone who starts and then others come behind him. Because he starts it, because he cuts through, now he brings many sons to glory, the scripture says. Look at what the end of verse 10 here says. In bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He has made it perfect through suffering. Listen, I need you guys to hear this tonight. It, almost like if you don't hear anything else. Because Jesus cuts through the chaos of sin. All of a sudden you can taste glory. You can know right relationship with God. And in this extremely vivid, beautiful picture in the scripture. Jesus had to do it first. And he did it through a means by which no one could have anticipated. Death. He tasted death. Died on a cross. So that here tonight we could sit, see the trailblazed path, and experience life. Now, the artist has like made the first few brushes. But verse 11, my friends, gets so much more beautiful. For... He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Unbelievably beautiful text. Let me read it again. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them a brothers. The Greek word for sanctify here is let me, let me just look at this because I don't want to mispronounce it. Hagezo. Hagezo. Can you guys say that with me? Hagezo. 
And it literally means this. It means to separate, to separate from worldly things in this case, to completely consecrate and literally dedicate it to God. Separate from worldly things and dedicate it to God. That's what sanctifying means. Another way of saying it is, it means to be made holy. That God, through Christ, let me read it this way. For he who sanctifies, verse 10, he who sanctifies Jesus as the pioneer, and those who are sanctified, the sons he brings with him to glory, all have one source. So Jesus as the sanctifier, the sons of glory as those who are being sanctified, all have one source. God the Father, sitting on the other side in our analogy here of the forest, Jesus trailblazes the way, and in its wake, this path, a loving God, listen, a loving God creates, a loving God makes a plan for redemption, has a plan for redemption, A loving God sends His Son, Jesus. A loving God, Isaiah 53 says, is pleased to crush His Son. Is pleased to watch Jesus suffer. Why? Because it would mean that His redemption could be fulfilled. A loving God does all of those things. A loving God saves and redeems and makes you more like Himself. He takes those who would call on His name and He doesn't just save them He brings them into a process of making them more like himself. Of making them holy. Some of you are like, I don't feel very holy. Okay, fair enough. Let me say it this way. Though you don't feel holy, or though you sometimes struggle being holy, it doesn't change your position as holy. Let me say it another way. Just because you struggle with sin, Christian, just because you're already a son or daughter of glory, knowing God, though you at times struggle to follow in that path of Christ, it doesn't mean that you're not positionally holy. Why? Because Jesus, listen, because Jesus trailblazed the path, you are seen through the lens of Jesus now. His righteousness His perfection. His goodness. And because you're seen through that lens, guess what? You are holy positionally. You see what I'm saying? Your position under Christ is holy. Doesn't mean that we all the time feel like it. In fact, sometimes you you feel like you're the farthest thing from holiness. But that's the process of sanctification. Is God making us, through His Son, more like His Son? Now, back to the forest, shall we? Right? Put you, like the sounds, the birds, you know, picture all of those things. The path is cleared. Christ has trailblazed the way. And the process of sanctification is when His sons, who He's bringing to glory, follow in that path. That's what sanctification is. Is we're following in that path. Now Jesus is already where? He's where? At the right hand, we've already read in Hebrews, the right hand of what? The right hand of God. He's already there positionally. Christ is there. So what did Jesus do? He sent what? He sends the Holy Spirit to indwell in believers. 
And so as we're navigating on the trail that's already been blazed by Christ, He has literally empowered us through His Spirit to follow that path. That's sanctification. Do you see? That's being set apart from the world. No, no, no. I don't want to taste the world. I don't want to know the world. I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus has already made the path extremely clear. It's a path of suffering. It's a path of obedience. It's a path of joy. It's a path of salvation. And he paved the way. And as you come behind, he says, here's the Holy Spirit to empower you to become more like me. That's sanctification. This unbelievable picture. Now, those of you that know the journey, you know that it's tough, right? Like there's, there's all these distractions that come up along the path, isn't there? There's all these moments, listen, have you ever found yourself so consumed with whatever it is, life circumstance, relationship, some drama that you're experiencing, financial woes, whatever. And you, it's like you veer so, you don't even realize, but you veer so far off, like just in, back into the dense wood, though this, clap, though this uh, path has been cleared. And you literally, listen, you literally wake up and you think to yourself, I don't even know how I got here. Have you ever felt that way before? Like I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure how I got this far away. What happened to make me drift this far from the sanctifying, refining work that God had? In, like, what happened? How does this even occur? Some of you are feeling that way tonight. You said, hey, I want to follow you, Jesus. I know that you've made me positionally holy, that, that God sees me through your lens of righteousness now, but honestly, like, I just feel completely off the beaten path. Any of you guys just there tonight? As the beauty of this unfolds, as the painter keeps working here, there's tremendous hope for us, including the end of verse 11. Please, if you would, look at this. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, Father God. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Nowhere in the scriptures, in the gospels, does Jesus ever call the disciples brothers. Nowhere. He calls them disciples, calls them pupils, in some cases he calls them friend. Nowhere does Jesus call his disciples brothers. Except one little place. John chapter 20, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, listen, listen to this, Mary Magdalene comes up. Mary Magdalene sees the risen Lord. And you know what Jesus says to her? Go and get my brothers. He hasn't called them brothers through the whole scripture. But now something has changed. He's died on the cross. He's resurrected from the tomb. And now the trailblazer in Christ, the one who made the way, tells Mary Magdalene, go and get my brothers. We're in unity now. It's not just these pupils. But now we have togetherness and unity in my death and resurrection. Do you understand this beautifully? So, if the Son of Man, as the scripture says here, isn't ashamed 
to call you brother, then why would you ever be ashamed to call him Lord? If the Son of Man, in this unbelievably beautiful text, is not ashamed to call you brother, Okay, we've already seen him as the firstborn, Hebrews 1.6. Colossians 1, he's the firstborn over all creation. The image isn't that he's equal with us, but the image is that he's the better Adam, he's the better David, he's the better Daniel, he's the firstborn, the better a- he's all of these. All of the Old Testament prophets, he's the better of them. That's why he can be considered the firstborn. So if the firstborn in Christ, fully God and fully man, can call you brother bringing the sons into glory, how can we ever be ashamed? How could we ever cower? How could we ever, on that path of sanctification, following the thing that Jesus has trailblazed, along the way, dip our head in shame? It's one of the biggest dangers when we diminish the fact that Jesus calls us brothers. Sons, children, when we break the unity that the sacrifice of Christ created with God, do you understand when we diminish that? What we're doing is we're stomping on the head of the gospel and saying, I don't care. It's not worthy. It's not worth it enough for me. What will happen when a whole bunch of people love and yearn and are joyous about the fact that Jesus says, brother, son, we have the same source, God the Father. We're headed in the same direction. Come follow me. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. Let's go. I know the path is tough. I know suffering will come. I know this will be dangerous and dicey. But listen, there's unity. That's why Jesus says all over, I and the Father are one. And now through Jesus, you are one with the Father. One, separated by sin together through Christ. So listen, I know popularity is is great. Because I know it like feeds this ego of yours. I know that um, feeling assured and affirmed by others has tremendous importance. But can I encourage you with this? If that ever causes you to shamefully bow your head in the face of the gospel... I pray that God would break our knees. I pray that we would get so serious about our lack of shame of the person of Christ, the king that the scripture says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I pray that we're so impassioned by that that we literally pray, God, listen, if that ever happens to me, if I'm ever in a context where I bow my head shamefully, denying you, Will you please break my legs? Will you please show me that you're my maker? Will you please show me your creator? Will you please humble me? Would you dare pray that? Would you dare say that? Because that's the picture here. He trailblazed. We come behind him. That's the, the sanctifying work that he's doing in us, making us more holy like himself, though we're seen as holy already through God. And in the meantime, he's not ashamed to call us brother. And again, just when you thought like he's taken his final stroke on the canvas... Can you please look at this in verse 12, please? Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Okay. This is written to who? Jewish Christians. 
often in Hebrews, what you're going to see as you're like reading your Bible, just to give you some indication, there's going to be moments in the scripture where like there's an indentation, okay? When there's an indentation, what does that mean? Anyone? It's quoting from where? From the Old Testament. If you're a Jewish Christian, you like the Old Testament, okay? You know the Old Testament. The Old Testament makes, makes sense to you. you you're, you're grabbing onto it, okay? And so in this moment, he quotes an Old Testament passage, Psalm 22. If you know anything about Psalm 22, you know there's someone else that quotes Psalm 22. On the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22, the very first verse, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what the writer does here is he says, you know what, let me prove my point. I know you know the Psalms because you love David, because you're a Jewish Christian, rightfully so, David's a baller, whatever. In Psalm 22, David opens with this beautiful context of the coming Messiah, beginning with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which the words that Jesus says on the cross, and look what he says here, continually going down, verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation I will sing of your praise. I, being Jesus, will tell of your name. The congregation, together will sing. Unity in the church. And then he continues to affirm this in verse 13. And again, quoting Isaiah chapter 8. I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God given me. This beautiful picture of what Jesus did in the trailblazing work to connect us and God. Listen, if you, listen, please. If you grew up in the church, you've seen all these diagrams, right? I mean, you got people over here and God over here and there's this massive dungeon of death in between. Have you ever seen this diagram on the felt board or something, right? You got the you got people over here and God over here and then somehow this dungeon like makes a cross in the middle like through some animation. Have you seen these, right? And so, we just we just start to diminish this concept because we've seen it so much or we've seen it cheesified, right? God and people or distance and oh no, here comes this crazy, you know, whirlwind of the cross and now we're connected the writer of Hebrews, over and over and over, exalting the name of, Je- exalting the name of Jesus is going to keep reminding us over and over and over, listen, the one thing that all these Old Testament saints longed for, you have. They longed to know God. And not just to know Him, but to know Him intimately and personally. To be able to cry out to Him and you you have that. So don't for one second diminish it. Don't negate it. Don't neglect it, he's already said. It's a great salvation. Christ made it perfect through his suffering. Don't negate it. Don't neglect it. Celebrate it. Don't be ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of you. He's called you brother. He's called you son. Sit in that joy and assuredness. But some of you tonight, listen. Some of you tonight find yourself at one time in your life saying, I want to be sanctified. I I desire to follow Jesus and be separated from the world. But, But tonight you find yourself in the deepest part of the forest. Can we just go back to the forest for a second? Like you're... You've sat down because you're tired. And, and you remembered what the path was because you were on it before. 
right? Like you remember what it was. You, you were on it before. You, you know what it looked like. You know what it felt like. You, you've been on it. And you've celebrated the fact that Jesus trailblazed it. And isn't that a great feeling? The fact that this dense woods, you know the path. Like the path is clear. He's already cleared it out. The path is completely, completely non-ambiguous. Non-ambiguous. Ambiguous. There we go, right? And so, so for whatever reason, you found yourself tired. And so you've, you've kind of strayed. You're si- Some of you tonight just find yourself sitting all alone. And maybe it's sitting all alone in your shame. Because you've been struggling deeply and desperately with this reoccurring over and over sin. And you're like, you're longing. You're like, if I could, if I could, if I could just get back to that cleared path that's already been trailblazed. If I could just get back there, like then everything would be good. If I could just find my, if I could just find my way back. Like you're a lost kid in a grocery store. If I can just navigate through all these aisles and again find daddy, then everything would be good. Some of you find yourself literally in the deepest, darkest piece of this forest. And your question tonight is, so what do I do? What can I do? What should I do? I'm alone. I'm desperate. I know God's called me His son through his son, Jesus. I know that Jesus, as I see tonight, calls me his brother. But what do I do? I don't even know how to get back there. I'm so far gone, I don't even know what it looks like. And so the option is like, well, you you just sit in loneliness, desperation, not knowing what to do. Or, you do what Romans chapter 10 says. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Listen. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who come to him. And can I just... Can I just share this piece of scripture with with you? Romans chapter 10 verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're alone, you're desperate, you're confused. You know what the path looks like. You've been there before. It was clear, yes, there was some suffering involved. You had to stand firm in your faith, but you knew where you were headed. Jesus has already trailblazed it. You knew that you were following suit and the Holy Spirit was empowering you. But you find yourself desperate, alone, not knowing what to do. Call on the name of the Lord. Call on Him. The desperate cries of His sons will not go unpursued. Can you hear that tonight? Call on Him. Don't wait another moment, another day, another second. You're sitting on that stump all alone and there's no reason to be. He's called you His child. Call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. And for those of you that have never began this journey, in fact, you find yourself struggling to even trust that there is a God. And you're like at the beginning of this dense forest. You're like, I don't even know which direction to go. Can I tell you this? 
there is only one trailblazed path. Only one. One. And it's through Jesus. You can try to create your own way. You can try other religions. And I'm telling you what. You will end up at only dead ends. There's one way. Jesus. He trailblazed it through his death. And tonight the message is the same for you. Call on the name of the Lord. So what does it look like? Desperate, alone, hurting, struggling. What does it look like to you in complete, utter abandonment to call on the name of the Lord? I have nowhere else to go, but I know if I call, you will answer. God, I ask that as a group of people collectively begin to call out and cry aloud that you would not just hear but that you would come to our rescue. That you would help, that you would save, that you continue to sanctify that you'd stir our affections for you, that you would remind us of how great the path is to follow you, though difficult, you've empowered us, though strained, you've completely strengthened us, though weakened, it's in our weakness, your strength is fully seen. God, I pray that, that you'll put us back on that trailblazed path. God, help us follow you. God, create in us a pure heart that longs To be holy as you're holy. And God, I pray that you'll whisper the words in the hearts of my friends that just need to hear it tonight. Just asking them, call on my name. Trust me. I'm the only way. You got nowhere else to go. God, help my friends see that picture of you tonight. Let's stand and respond.